My levels are a little bit inflamed, Mike. Do they need some cream for them? <laughs> you need level cream? And welcome to Tech Moonshine! Coming to you straight from a cabin in the Virginia woods, Tech Moonshine is the best place to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are both experienced technology professionals and, just like quality moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns, and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof honest truth from a cabin in the Virginia woods. And back-to-back week, Sean, we are pleased to bring on yet another guest host. Guest host. Guest hosts are very wonderful. Um, you know, in in semi-tragic news, Kenton did not actually know what he was doing with the still. I, I know that everybody is going to find this hard to believe. Um, we've never seen pipes attached that way. It turns out that super glue and duct tape do not go well with the still along with kerosene. I don't understand. And those rubber bands were not actually scientific quality rubber bands when he told me. It turns no. out he just got them off his newspaper in the morning. Right. It's not, I mean, how can you not use scientific quality rubber bands? It's terrible. Rest in peace, Ken. Um, it, yes, exactly. Um, oh, so who was that, Mike? This, who was that? I know. It was amazing. It sounded like a mountain man, Sean. Did you hear that? I did. Did you hear the, did you hear the beard in that voice? You can actually hear amazing. the beard through the audio. It's you amazing. You can hear the beard. Um, we have brought in the mountain man, Greg Gardner, to help us with the still this week. And, you know, hopefully um, we're going to get this thing working this week and then we can uh, start commence to the drinking of the moonshine next week. And maybe I had a little moonshine already. Um, So, Greg, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Why don't you give us a little introduction to yourself, um, what you do, the things that make you special. Um, I'm an independent app developer out of San Francisco. Although All right. temporarily in the Virginia woods, helping out Temporarily you guys. in the Virginia woods, yes. He was here yes. for a conference, and we managed to convince him to come by the cabin. Uh, you know, that is very true. There's a lot of, of good app development that needs to go on in the Virginia woods. And um, Speaking of app development, we're going to talk about app developing this week and what it takes to develop an app, what it takes to release it, and hopefully what it takes to make it big. Um so now, uh, in light of that topic, uh, gentlemen, I, I think that we have, have all officially released an app on this podcast, yes? Not while actually I'm on the podcast, no. Yeah, not, not on this podcast. I'm actually sitting here in the cabin not releasing right. apps. Well, I'm saying, yeah, you know, if we have a history of releasing apps, we would be on this podcast about releasing apps, right? That made no sense. I think what you're saying is, have we ever released apps? And I think that the answer is yes, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Sean. Once again, I'm glad that you were able to rescue me from my verbal conundrums. I told you, dude, you can't water down the old moonshine. I mean, just because we don't have new moonshine, don't drink the old stuff. That stuff's like battery acid. <laughs> well, it's, listen, man, it's it's all right. It's all right. I still can't taste the feel the left side of my tongue, though. Um so, Sean, uh, why don't you kick us off? What app have you released, or apps as the case may be? Apps, uh, plural. I've released two apps, actually. My very first app 
when I wanted to learn how to program for mobile in general, this is many years ago when Android was in the very early stages and difficult to work with is called mileage tracker it's a an app very simply for tracking the mileage in your car uh, and it gives you alerts when things are like oil changes and tire rotations and things are going on and also lets you know if you're underperforming um, because i got very sick of doing it myself for my car i have a very cheap <laughs> older car and it doesn't have fancy electronic displays in my mileage and i figured it was a good place to start it proved to be pretty popular actually i will point out that it is actually one of the fastest growing transportation applications in Iran. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Which is, you know, Man. something I got going for me. Uh, and I, I, I released a second app uh, two years ago, which was called Wine Fog, which is helps you keep track of all that wine you drink. I figured there's some highfalutin wine drinkers out there that don't appreciate some good moonshine, so I created it to help them track the wines that they enjoyed. Is that also the second uh, biggest mileage app in Iran? No, no, but it turns out it's actually the most popular wine app in Skokie, Illinois. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, Greg, why don't you tell us about your long and storied career of releasing apps? Um, well, I, uh, my, well, let's say my first app was, uh, I think I released it in 2010 on the App Store. It was called App Smart. Um, that was later acquired by a company, um, so I don't work on that one anymore. But then uh, last year, uh, 2013, I started working on my own apps again, and uh, the first app I worked on um, that I got on the App Store was called Crossword Connect. It's a multiplayer crossword puzzle game, so it's a collaborative uh, game. You can play with other people, work on crossword puzzles together. Um, that is is not easy to find on the app store. And so therefore it's not <laughs> done fabulously well. Um, but you know, I'm proud of it. And, uh, after that, um, I released an app, um, called launcher, um, in September of this year. And it was out for nine glorious days, uh, where it was, um, wildly popular and brought me lots of fame and fortune for a week. And then, uh, Apple took that down they didn't want apps that launched uh, other apps or widgets I guess was the was the biggest problem although mm -hmm. um, so then after many failed attempts to sort of uh, revive launcher um, I turned it into music launcher which is an app that I released in December or no well I attempted to release in December it got a little slowed down and uh, it got released in early January of 2015 um, it's called music okay. launcher you can use that to uh, it's a widget that gives you quick access to playing uh, music and playlists and songs and albums and whatnot with just one click in the, in the notification center. And uh, then I've, that's it. Okay. Um, and all through, all those apps were on the uh, Apple App Store? Yes, they're all uh, iOS apps. Okay, very Oh, nice. this is good. Uh, Greg and I represent two sides of the coin because all my apps are Android only. Dun, 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 dun. Um. So we have Sean, who is an Android-only developer, and we have Greg, who is an iOS-only developer. Um, I actually have an app as well. It's called Converted by Rolincio, which you have to say with a very nice Spanish accent, Rolincio, um, which also happens to be Rollinsio, which is my Twitter handle. Um, once again, as Greg pointed out, it is very hard to find that on the App Store. Um, my son came in and asked me how... Uh, many people were using my app 
at which point I pulled up my analytics and told him 35. Um, so, uh, you gotta start somewhere. That probably, you got, you do have to start somewhere. The first 35 years are the hardest, Mike. Just the, the I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Um, you know, but that, that brings us to a very interesting topic, and I'm glad that you touched on it, Greg, which is that App Store discovery is kind of hard. Um, it turns out that, like, you know, there's not really good search, at least in the iOS App Store, and everything's based off of keywords. Um, Greg, have you found any kind of tricks or tips to get things better known in the App Store? Um, if I did, I probably wouldn't share it publicly. Um, <laughs> okay. Hey, we're just in a cabin. Nobody can hear us except yeah, for people that listen to the podcast. You, <laughs> but um, some of the more well-known tricks out there are, you know, uh, driving a Brinks truck over to Facebook and dumping a big pile of cash on their doorstep um, or any other of the myriad of uh, ad networks out there. Um, but yes, but you have to make a large sum of money on each app that you make um, in order to actually make that reasonable at all. So that is pretty much only you know large companies, uh, VC funded and whatnot. Um, so for you know independent developers such as ourselves, um, yeah, I don't. There's, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like. Obviously, getting yeah. featured is a big thing, right? If you can get featured, mm -hmm. um, which again, I don't know if there are any tricks to that. Obviously, um, maybe if you know people. Uh, I, um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think that the 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 trick that I've heard about getting featured is you just have to know somebody at Apple, and you have to point out your app to them, and they have to say, "Hey, that's really cool," and then they feature it. Right. And and, um, and I've had friends and, who got featured just because you know it was a good app and you know people sure. found it or you know some you know some of the editorial people found it right um but yeah uh or yeah if you know somebody as long as you get on the radar you know obviously it has to be a good app they're not going to feature something that's you know like a you know amateur amateur right. hour yeah. kind of app well and 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 that um that that's another interesting topic let me we'll come back to that in just a second sean um, how is discovery on the Play Store? Is it any different? Is it? Uh... I would. I actually have not done a scientific study. I will say that I often have found search in the end on Google Play to be better. Maybe because Google is just it's a search better company. at search. <laughs> I, I I would say I have not done a scientific study a side by side, but I do feel that I can find things on Google Play more easily than I find them on iTunes, but I don't actually mm -hmm. know why. It might just be what I'm looking for. I do have iOS devices and Android devices, and I install apps on both of them, and I just I feel like I, I find it easier to find the things on Google Play. I will say, though, um, one of the things that's really important that we brought up, which is, is the idea of rankings and standing out from the crowd, um, I don't think most people know exactly how those rankings are computed. They just see them, and they're like magical, and like, where do they come from? So perhaps we should peel back the curtain and talk a little bit about why why certain apps get ranked and why they don't get ranked and that kind of stuff. I, I think that's a, a wonderful idea. Um, rankings are kind of a black art on the iOS app store, but uh, it's, it's actually an algorithm that Apple will not release. Uh, they don't tell people necessarily how to get ranked or what you want to do to get ranked, but... Uh, it is pretty common knowledge that driving downloads will get you ranked. And 
Um, there also seemed to be a lot of uh, gimmicks r related to uh, ratings. And so it seems to be some kind of combination between downloads and ratings that will get you to climb the charts. Um, and there, there may very well be some other nuance in there, uh, but it, it's not public information about how to get ranked. But I think a good question is, is if you do get ranked, what happens to your app? Like what happens to your downloads? If you get ranked and you get ranked in a category, or you get ranked in the, the top grossing or you get ranked somewhere. Um, have, have either of you heard anecdotal evidence about what might happen if you do get ranked? You mean you get more downloads? <laughs> yes. It's being above the fold. Right. It, uh, it, it makes a big difference. Um, and I, I know that at least in the early days, just getting to the, the, the top of the ranks was enough to keep an app uh, in positive uh, cash flow territory for quite a while, assuming you had a way to monetize users. Um, well, interestingly enough, on, on Google Play, um, they also Google also doesn't re release their ranking algebra, but they do disclose some of the inputs to it, and one of them is what they call long installs. So they mm -hmm. don't look at people who just install the app. You have to install it and keep it around for a while, which is trying to combat um, people spending gaming. lots of money, like Greg mentioned, to just get people to click on ads to try and get ranked quickly, because if you have to actually install the app and keep it around, in theory, maybe I like it more. Um, I don't know if that actually increases the fidelity of the, the Google Play rankings because you go in the Google Play rankings, I mean, they're just as, there's plenty of garbage on there like anywhere else. But it, it's interesting that they at least profess to have a little bit more sophistication. Does that mean that they're tracking people uninstalling apps and oh, yeah. keeping no, apps installed? In, and... Yeah, if you actually log into the Google Play console, it actually tells you how many uninstalls you have and how many devices your app is still on. Okay. That is, that. Uh, I know that Apple will tell you the downloads that you have, but they won't tell you your uninstall rate. Nope. And they don't tell you even, a, I don't even, they don't make a distinction between a download and a first run. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can actually rank downloads on Apple by having like, you know, I have my uh, app store account connected to my phone and a few other phones in this house and some iPads. And if I download it on one of them, it'll download across all of them. So every download that I make is worth about five downloads. Um, but Apple doesn't make a distinction between whether or not the app actually gets opened, um, which can be important in, in some circumstances. Right. I mean, cool. maybe they they track that data themselves, and perhaps it plays into yeah, sure the do. the algorithm somewhat. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, they, they don't they don't make that available to developers. So I think it's sort of a an unknown if they track that sort of thing. So guys, I have a quick question for you. This is really important. Um, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had a friend come up to you and say, "Listen, I had this great idea for an app. Can you just build it for me? Because it's totally going to make us rich." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I just had all the time. <laughs> it just happened to me. Like, there's a a, a a teenager in Singapore who I've been talking to for the last week because talking to somebody in Singapore takes a long time when it's just like one line at a time in an email. Um, and yeah, he he convinced he was trying to convince me that he had this great idea for an app that was going to make us rich. 
And after talking to him for, you know, like I said, at least a week or so about like, well, what do you, he wanted to collaborate. And I said, what does that mean? Are you a developer? He said, no, he just has the idea. And we're going back and forth about, okay, well, what do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? Blah, blah. Finally, he's like, let me just tell you my idea. It's this. And then I said, oh, well, yeah, there's an app that already does that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, it, it, it's very interesting because a, a lot of the people that bring me ideas like that, um, they have an incredibly niche idea. And so as an example, I had a firefighter um, bring me this great idea that he had for an app um, that he said would replace a certain function in the firefighting world. Um, it's basically like unit movements across a, a, a burning building. And um, I was like, great, but like, what's the market for that? Um, you know, if there are how many thousands of firefighting stations in the world and are in the United States, which is ostensibly where this thing would go, um, you know, you, you've got what, a few thousand, a few tens of thousands, and that's going to be your total max capacity. Um, uh, well, just to be clear, ahead, Mike, Mike had this discussion with him on a couch, because if a firefighter is rescuing you from a burning building and he's like, I had this app idea, <laughs> the correct answer is that's brilliant. I'd like to work with you on absolutely, that. Absolutely, <laughs> sir. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, to be honest, they did not need to carry the couch with me on it out of the cabin. Um, but it was very nice of them to do that. It was a very important couch. It's kind of the moonshine couch. Um, it's we it's a red couch. We had many, many good loads of moonshine on that couch. It yes. smelled pretty, uh, it, yes. actually very bad. It was good to get rid of it. You could actually get a contact buzz just by sitting on it because the alcohol would soak through your skin. But um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was definitely really nice of them to carry the couch out with me on it. And and I really, um, that was you know prior to the podcast days. It was unfortunate that we set that cabin on fire that way. Um, and I'm very sorry to all of the trees that we burnt down, but. Um, well, but back good. to this question, Mike, you brought up like one reason. I think it's probably good to tell everybody about why when they bring us ideas, like why don't you just build this app for us, why we don't say yes. And so one reason, Mike, as you mentioned, is making sure there's enough people that would even use it if we did mm -hmm. build it. There's going to be a lot more reasons. Greg, what's your reason typically when people come to you and they're like, build me this app. It's a great idea. What, why I say no? Um, because I have a list of ideas of apps that I, <laughs> I'm already working on, so... Um, you know, it would, it would have to be an idea that trumps what I'm already, you know, what's already in my queue. Interesting. For me, it's mostly that, honestly, people don't understand how long it takes to build a good app. I think they mm. think you just sit down for like two or three hours, you just punch it out and then like you go off and cash big checks. And I, even the simplest app that I've worked on to get it to the point where it felt like it was polished and fairly well put together not even professionally done but like well put together is at least two weeks right yeah yeah and that's least. a lot of time you're investing and that's on the short end i mean most of the time it'll take you longer than that for someone's mm -hmm. idea i think if they understood how long it actually took they would be less eager to ask these kinds of questions yeah i mean uh, as you know when i built converted um that was my 2014 uh resolution was to build an app. And this is not a complex app. I mean, this thing basically, you put in a number, you select a unit, 
and then it hands you back how it converts to in a set of units that are similar to that one. This is not rocket science for an app. Um, and it was many, 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 many nights just working on it to get it right. And a lot of that was just learning, um, going through and building out the, you know, I had an idea then I had to figure out how to execute it in the code. Um, God help me with auto layout. Uh, but yeah, it definitely takes a lot of time. Greg, I mean, you, you've had several apps now. Uh, what's the minimum time you've put into an app and what's the maximum time you've put into one for say the first launch? Yeah. I mean, I'd say, yeah, like the two weeks that Sean says, I think is like an absolute minimum. I mean, especially when you're just talking about things like building the app, submitting it, uh, like getting, right. getting the, the, the description, the screenshots, like all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, right. that's, that's, you know, that's like a day or two, you know, just to itself. Right. So, um, so, you know, actually like building an app from scratch is definitely like two weeks minimum. Um, but I mean, like for me, you know, I have some apps that, you know, you can kind of like build up, uh, some code, um, that you can reuse and whatnot, which can kind of help you out a little bit there. Um, so yeah, like for, for music launcher, like I had the launcher, code and then i wanted to make music launcher which is very very similar it's just really you know like um you know how to add in a, a way to choose music rather than choose you know apps to launch or whatever and then you know when you click on it it plays music rather than launching an app and um i'd say for that it was to get it like working is was like uh you know a few days and then mm-hmm. and then you know i wanted to like change the color scheme and graphics around and something and that took several more days so you know it was like a week week and a half just to take code that i already had and made an app that was very similar just with this slightly different look and feel then you know then like i said getting all the screenshots together and all that kind of stuff you know is probably closer to two weeks you know total and that was with a you know an existing code base existing code base um, how much how much of the app, Greg, do you think is the actual logic behind the way the app works versus the logic to control the 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 user interface or the APIs that go into the operating system? So you have like the the core idea of the app, which might be conversions or mm-hmm. it might be, um, you know, putting a playlist together. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of the code is doing the core idea versus working with the APIs that the operating system exposes such that you can make that idea come alive on a screen. It depends on the app and how complicated it is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, they just sort of like the, the layout, the UI, the, you know, the interaction with the user, like all that stuff, I think is sort of the the trickiest part. Like that's definitely the part that, you know, you separate sort of a, a basic amateurish app from a professional looking one. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a, like a lot of sort of gotchas that you can get into there where like the UI can and the user experience can be kind of clunky if you don't know what you're doing and you don't spend a lot of time sort of refining it and making it look good. Um, so I'd say, yeah, there's definitely a significant part of sort of building an app, even even a fairly simple one is refining the the user experience making sure that the you know you add in animations to make it look good you add in you know you make it 
uh, you know, make sure that it's smooth and, and, uh, you know, especially if you have multiple screens, like going back and forth between the different screens, looks good, smooth, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You could spend a lot of time sort of fine tuning that, um, as opposed to the actual like logic of what the app is actually doing is generally not a significant portion of the code or the time spent. Sean, I have a question for you, which is, uh, the apps that you've built, have they all been self-contained or have they relied on some kind of service in the background? They both have relied on services in the background. So the mileage tracking app actually downloads the manufacturer recommended specifications for your car. So you basically select the year, make and model of your car and it downloads basically the expected mileage, how long you have to go between changes, all that kind of good stuff. And the wine app actually does two things. You can actually save your, your wine list uh, on the server if you want to switch devices, and you can actually take photos of the wine labels. But it also provides you recommendations on new wines and also an option to, to where to purchase wines online and have them delivered to you. So there's lots of fancy, exciting features um, that my massive user base uses all the time. <laughs> and I will uh, say, it, going to, to Craig's point, for a service like that, Building the app is only half of the work. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, it's less than half of. The, if you're unlucky, it's less than half of the work, because building the APIs that actually it works with to do all those things are, you know, another amount of effort that has to go into it. And so, you know, I, I had somebody who proposed that they wanted to, they wanted me to build a fancy new kind of weather visualization app, and all I could think about was how difficult it was going to be to collect all of the fancy detailed weather data and i wasn't even worried about building the interface i was just like man that would take forever i i have a question mike so my typical response when people ask me that hey i have an app idea i want to build and i'm always like why, why don't you build it yourself and they're like well i don't know how to build an app i'm like well you can go learn online which i realize is uh in a little bit disingenuous because it under uh, it downplays how hard it is to learn to build apps i'm curious in your guys opinion let's assume somebody knows how to program um, because if you don't know how to program, the learning curve is pretty steep. But you, you've never built apps before. How long do you think it takes to learn how to build an app? Um, I, I think it, it just depends on how much time you can throw at it. But let's say that you can give it a couple hours a day. Um, you're still talking about a multi-week or maybe a multi-month commitment just to get to a basic understanding of how to build a simple app. Um, and that's assuming this is in your free time and you've got a couple hours a day for maybe three or four days a week. Um, it is not uh, an easy thing and, and, and actually goes back to the question that I was asking Greg earlier, which is, you know, half of it is, you know, whether or not you know Java or whether or not you know Objective-C. That's actually not even half of it. That's just a minimal amount. So much of it is, do you know how to use the APIs that underlie the operating system? Um, do you know how to use something like auto layout? Um, do you know how to use, you know, the XML files that lay out, uh, a, 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 an Android app? Um, do you know how to create a list view? Do you know, like there's all these things, these little nuanced things that, uh, are really can be kind of tricky to figure out how to use now. There are some incredible resources out there. There's stuff like Stack Overflow, where um, I think every question in the programming world has been answered on Stack Overflow. False. Um, <laughs> false. Trust. <laughs> Have you found yeah, trust? Yeah, dude, no, seriously. <laughs> you, just, you need to get to a little bit towards the cutting edge of technology and work on things that were just released, and then it comes over crickets. <laughs> True. 
True. Um, I guess probably probably this this you know I I have not dug deep into the app world. I am still scratching the surface of a very simple app. Um, yeah, dude. So, I, but don't don't get me wrong. There's a wealth of information on Stack Overflow. Right. And if you run into a common problem, for sure, there's a good answer on Stack Overflow. But there's definitely cases, and that's when you know, like, sort of, you're getting deep in into the woods there. When you're like, mm-hmm. there is not even a mention of this thing on Stack Overflow. So I am, <laughs> I'm on the bleeding edge, man. How how many of those situations have you run into, Greg? Um, you know, well, I was definitely there with with Launcher. I was working with mm-hmm. with you know Notification Center widgets, which which were brand new in iOS eight. So, um, you know, before iOS eight was out, when it was just still a beta. So. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was mention, like I, I didn't get started like the first day or anything. So that was good. But, you know, I started in like mid July or something in the, the, you know, I think the APIs and stuff were released in whatever, April, May ish timeframe, whenever WWDC was. And, uh, so, you know, there'd been at least, you know, a month or so of people in front of me kind of like putting some basic things about, about sort of widgets and extensions, on Stack Overflow, which were helpful um, because the tools were just completely broken in the beta, <laughs> just frustrating to use. But um, so at least I knew that I wasn't alone in terms of you know some of the the basic sort of functionality and, and problems that were I was running into. But then once I got into you know d- deeper into it, that's where I started seeing that there weren't not a lot of people who were running into the same problems I had, just because there weren't that many people you know who had who were working on you know notification center widgets at the time. It's just too early. Okay, that's a that's a very valid point, Sean. Have you run into situations? I have. I actually I have an example that is uh, only tangentially related to mobile apps that I think is hilarious. So, Docker is a technology that I won't get into. Um, I use it to host some of my APIs in the back end. That's how it's related to apps. But when I first started using Docker, no one was using Docker. It basically, in fact, I went to a Docker meetup with with the Docker development team presenting Docker. And they actually said, listen, Docker doesn't quite work yet. You shouldn't use it in production. <laughs> That's how early it was that I was using it. And I ran into the most ridiculous problems that nobody, like very simple things like port forwarding and how to get you know your ports all lined up and everything. And I, I just struggled through them and I fixed them. I got so frustrated. I, I started blogging about it. I have a technical blog that I never blogged to and I posted up a bunch of things about Docker. And this is the thing that drives me nuts. I, I spent a lot of time on my blog. I blog a lot, and I'm very lucky to have it well-read. The number of people who reach read those Docker posts dwarfs the number of people that read my hard-earned blogs about really thoughtful topics because there was nothing out there, and it got indexed very quickly by Google. And now if you search for certain problems in Docker, it comes up as the first result. And I'm like, are your, oh. are your solutions still correct? No, actually, mostly not anymore. They still come up first, and people still go read them. Nice. That is terrible. I you should have some AdWords up on those right posts direction. or something. Make some money. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I want to I, I want to um, direct our conversation to one more area uh, before before we get into tech topic overload, um, which is you Greg, can't use the voice until we're ready to do it, Mike. Until it's, we it's okay. Like I'm sorry. And tech topic overload. That's better. Uh, is that better? Okay. Good. Um, Greg, um, first off, Greg, how are things coming on the still? Is it looking good? Do you think we can salvage it? Are we going to have to start over? Is Kenton just a... We're going to have to go hunt him down and maybe put a hit out on him? Um, no, there's no hit. Like, he... You didn't hear? 
Like no, what happened? No, the, I mean the still's gone. Kenton hasn't been oh, seen no. from. Like it's it's a disaster in there. Like you barely have a shed <laughs> left. I'm sorry. I thought you knew. <laughs> well, I, sorry, it's this old moonshine. I just I don't know what's happening anymore. Did you sleep through the explosion or what? I don't. Um, I, I, I'm going to take the fifth on that one. Okay. I'm going to take you, the You fifth. don't actually remember why we're sitting on lawn chairs in front of the cabin, Mike? <laughs> we're on lawn chairs? <laughs> what's, I'm what's actually happening? really worried about this. Perhaps we're going to cut back on the moonshine for next week's episode. <laughs> so, all right. So my, my very serious question here, Greg, is, um, what, what tools do you find indispensable to, uh, your apps like are is there is it uh besides things like that are operating system provided are there things that you go to on a regular basis to know about your app or learn about your app or uh, market your app or anything like that it's a good question um i would say that uh, like a, a handy tool that i sort of um scoffed at at first um but i find myself using more and more is um, like App Annie, uh, which is a site, okay. it's a website you can go to and you can put in an app and then it tells you all kinds of stuff about how it's ranking on the app store. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, if you are lucky enough to have an app that's ranking in any sort of category, I think they go down to like 15, rank 1500 or something, you know, um, then you can sort of see the history of the ranking over time and whatnot, sort of how you're doing, sort of keep it's a good, good way to sort of keep keep an eye on your app and how it's, how it's performing, um, which is pretty handy. Kind of an, in, an index against the competition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can check yourself how you're doing. You can check out competitive apps, see how they're doing, how you're doing uh, versus them. Um, and I would say okay. another tool that, um, uh, you know, that I just started using, um, the, but I'm fairly happy with so far is um, Fabric from uh, Twitter. Um, uh, I use that too. It's actually pretty slick. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little over the top, like the UI and yes. stuff. Like it's a yes, little it ridiculous. Um, and you have to have something it's very installed, magic button. like on you know on your desktop to get it to work yeah. and everything. Um, but at least the crash reporting, like the crash crash reporting, is is a pretty handy tool. Um, you know, you get immediate. Like I think, like you know, when yes, I'm testing you it, you get immediate email when you know you get a crash that it hasn't seen before uh which which is very handy um and you know i had this happen the other day where i got an email and i was sitting there on my computer and said there's a new crash and my app's been out for you know six weeks or whatever so you know somebody sure. just <laughs> got to some weird edge case where they, they hit this hit this crash and uh you know i was able to like click on it look at exactly which line of the code it was look you know glance at the code had it fixed within like five minutes of knowing what the crash was of course that fix isn't going to be out for weeks with the way that things go in the app store um well, that is true but uh you know i was able to fix this thing in like you know within 10 minutes of this person crashing before the code was fixed which is which is pretty cool and they have a, like a little um sort of analytics dashboard that gives you supposedly I, I know how accurate it is but it gives you sort of real-time status on like how many people are using your app during you know at any given time uh which is which is kind of handy to just to kind of see you know how your app's doing um yeah i i've used fabric as well it's pretty slick uh, i have experienced the the crash reporting instantaneously like you're saying 
Um, except that I am always the one that's crashing my app and doing it in really weird edge cases. Um, and yes, it, it, it's a little freaky when you crash apps and all of a sudden your email goes off and there's your new crash just waiting for you. Um, it's very handy to go in and, uh, and, and fix it. Um, so Sean, what about you? Have you, uh, I, is, you might be a little biased in this question, but are there any, <laughs> are there, are there any kind of, uh, tools that you find indispensable for, uh, your app development? Of course, Flurry Analytics. I mean, you have to of course, use that, of course, of course I mean, absolutely. Um, I, and I use that to track, you know, the people using my applications. I have, I, I think I've used literally every tool available to mobile app developers in one of my apps at one time or another. I, I, I would go with Greg. I think App Annie is useful just to figure out where your rankings are because it's really painful to go in and look on the actual store interfaces for some reason. I don't know why they don't... Imp- integrate that kind of feature functionality into the Google Play Store, it would be pretty obvious to do, but they don't, and so it is useful in that way. Um, I, I don't know if there's any other tools. Uh, I haven't tried um, the Fabric stuff that Twitter's come out with but uh, that I use very frequently. Um, I actually, yeah, no, I don't have anything else to, to share. Sorry. All right. Yeah, and, and, and just to echo both of you, um, analytics from, from Flurry, um, a little biased here, but uh, it's, it, it is the reason I could tell my son exactly how many users I had, which was 35. Um, he also asked me how much money I had made, and um, I had almost crested a dollar. It was amazing. Cool. Well um, done, man. That first dollar, it's tough. You should frame it on the wall, that man. That first dollar is tough. That first dollar is tough. Nice. Um, and then fabric fabric is pretty slick. I, I, and, and like Greg said, it, it is over the top. It's, it's very magic button. Um, you just go in and you push the button and it just does stuff to your app and you're like, wow, that's kind of scary. Um, but, but Fabric is very good. So one last thought on, on app, sure. app development. We've alluded to this a few times. People might who, who consume apps might not realize this, but there is a very fundamental difference between the iOS app store and the Android, yes. app, the Android app store, which is if I create an app as an Android developer and I go submit it to Google Play to be listed on the store, uh, it usually actually in a few hours is live on Google Play because they have some algorithms that check it. They do little virus checking and stuff, but basically it's live. If you support, if you submit it to the iOS um, App Store, a person at Apple has to review it and approve it and let you through, which means that it can take two weeks, three weeks, a long time um, for you to submit an app and, and have it go live. And I don't think people will think about that part of the process. So for you guys who've released on iOS, I've never had to go more than say an hour before, uh, after submitting an app and seeing it live on Google Play. What's the longest you've seen between a submission you've made and it being live? Uh, for me, the the first the first iteration of Converted took almost exactly two weeks. Of course, I did it right around Christmas, um, but yeah, it 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 was like it was very anticlimactic because. You, you get the run-up to it, you get all your screenshots, you get your description, you make sure everything's nice, you submit this thing to the App Store, they immediately flag something and tell you that they're not going to allow it, but then you Google what the warning is and it says, oh, well, it always says this, you're okay, um, because there's no namespacing in Objective-C, uh, and so you end up you know tripping over some kind of like you know, fetch command. It thinks that you're using a private API. Um, 
then you just sit around and you wait. And occasionally you get an email that says you've progressed into the next phase, which, you know, you're in review or uh, you're, you're pre-review. There, there's a few phases that you can go through. Um, and then all of a sudden you get an email that says, okay, you're good. And it just goes. Yeah. It, it's, <clears throat> so my, it's my a answer little, is a little bit different than everybody else's um, just because uh, you know, my, uh, my relationship with, with, uh, Apple is such, yes. is such that, uh, basically every time I submit an app, I sit around and wait and then it gets rejected. And then I have to go through all kinds of hassles to either get it confirmed as rejected or overturned and on appeal. So, um, yeah, I mean my time, you know, so there's the time for, between submission and it actually getting reviewed was not necessarily like the amount of time you wait for it to get out because, you know, they can review it and reject it for any number of reasons. And uh, for me, I think it's just being me. I don't know. Um, But, you know, yes. So like, for instance, Music Launcher, I submitted, I think, December 3rd. And I think I finally went out around January 3rd or 4th. So that was a month. Um, (laughs) Because it got... Because it got rejected, and then I appealed, and then they overturned the rejection on appeal, and that took a week, week and a half um, after the you know the submission and, and rejection, which took another week and a half or whatever. And then it was Christmas, so they took you know a week off for Christmas. A week off, yeah. And uh, you know, so I had it submitted, you know, by December, you know, eighteenth or whatever. But they didn't actually like start reviewing it until you know the first week in January or whatever. And then of course every submission since the every just every update gets rejected and I have to go through appeal again. So I, I was I was going to ask. I mean, if you get rejected initially, it seems like that puts you in a tenuous position. You may have to constantly fight that rejection over and over. Evidently, that's the case. Yes. <laughs> That's terrible. Even on simple updates where you tell them, you try to explain to them, look, it's a, this app has been through the appeal board and it has approved the entire concept of the app. They say, if you feel this rejection is an error, please submit it to the appeal board. And so then you... So I probably... I don't know if I have the record necessarily, but I'd say in the last you know three, four months, me and Apple and the review board... We're like BFFs. We, you know, I am probably <laughs> the person the you know, the person who has, you know, appealed to the appeal board more than probably anybody else. Or at least I'm, you know, I'm top 1% easily, I'd say. Greg, I don't, I don't think you want to be BFFs with the review board. I don't. I mean, they've been good to me lately. I'm just That's saying, good. like, That's I was good. surprised when they overturned the rejection of Music Launcher and uh, pleasantly surprised. So, you know, I've got a couple more in the in the pipeline here so we'll see how those go um but yeah all right very good um sean do you do you have anything you want to add no everybody should go download greg's apps though because they were I, so hard earned to get through the process he I deserves your download and usage so greg Romulo labs you, for the win why don't you plug on we've talked about your app a little bit during the podcast but plug it for me tell me what you know how i go find it um what keywords do i use to get it i'm gonna go definitely download it uh on my wife's uh ipod or my wife's iphone soon what um tell me about the app 
Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the latest one is Music Launcher. Like I said, um, it's a way to set up playlists, uh, songs, uh, albums, etc. Um, in your, uh, as little, little icons on, that show up on your notification center. And with just one click, you can immediately start playing that playlist or song. And uh, so it's like a really quick way, like especially if you're like getting in the car or whatever, you're on the go and you don't want to, you know, find the music app, click on it, then go to the playlist, you know, scroll through your playlist, click, etc. Like it, it saves you, you know, uh, a good amount of time there to just have all your playlists sitting there. You just one click and you go. So it's called Music Launcher. Uh, it's available in the App Store. Um, and then my other one is, is like I said, uh, the, the crossword puzzle game. It's a collaborative crossword puzzle game called Crossword Connect. So if you search for them by name, you know, they'll be the first ones up there. Crossword. Very good. Very good. So we have Music Launcher and Crossword Connect. Make sure everybody go out and get it. Um, they, it, they are hard, hard fought by Greg to bring them to you. Um, so, uh, that, uh, and, and last, last thing, Greg, is there any way people can reach out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, chromiolylabs.com is my website. Um, you know, there's an info button there if you want to send me, you know, the next great app idea that already exists. Um, you know, I'm all ears. All right. Very good. And on on that note, we're going to go into Tech Topic Tech Topic Overload. overload. So uh, in case anybody has been under a rock and they have never heard this podcast before, Tech Topic Overload is... Uh, the the time when we will each pick a single topic from uh, the weeks or the last couple of weeks tech news and we will discuss why it makes us happy or why it makes us sad um, and Greg I am going to let you go first today what what is your tech topic overload topic okay so my tech topic overload is, some people may have heard of this is um, the privacy policy of the Samsung TVs um, made news this week because uh, so Samsung TVs have this voice command feature where you can say like TV turn on TV you know change the channel etc and uh, so it's supposed to you know save you time to not have to find the remote um, however in their privacy policy the pe people sort of pointed out that they say that uh, please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and, and transmitted to a third party through use of your voice recognition. So basically, Samsung is saying, don't talk about private things in your own living room because we are recording everything that you say and sending them to a third party. And, uh, you know, some people sort of pointed out quite clearly that um you know a lot of people sort of talk about you know sort of misuse of technology and spying and whatever as orwellian but i don't think there's anything more like the book 1984 if either of you have read it mm -hmm. the entire concept of the you know the the, <laughs> the guy in it has a big tv that's on in his root you know in his house <laughs> that is spying and listening to everything that he says and makes sure that he doesn't say the wrong thing um, so this couldn't be more Orwellian, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think that's just, you know, how, how things go when, you know, sort of people take technology maybe a little bit faster than they're really thinking about, you know, like, is it worth 
you know, not finding your remote to have your TV listen to everything you say and possibly broadcasting it or, and, you know, taking it even further, that could mean that, you know, the government, other people who are technically savvy could also be intercepting such information as well, right? Like, I'm sure Samsung is not doing, well, I don't care I'm sure, but they're probably not doing anything nefarious with the information, right? They're just lawyers said, hey, you know, by the way, like we have to tell people that we may be sending this to a third party because we're not doing the voice recognition ourselves. But, you know, they're probably not taking that information and selling it to governments or, you know, Google or <laughs> or other companies or anything. But, you know, you, you got to think about sort of it, the trade-offs it, it, there in terms of like, bit. is it worth not having your remote to actually have a television in your house that's listening to everything you say and broadcasting it over the internet to whoever so, might be listening? Well, let's let's at least feel sorry for the poor intern forced to listen to me screaming at my soap operas in the <laughs> middle of the day and trying to decipher that, okay? It's just not a good job. <laughs> Sean, I, I have seen you scream at your soap operas. It's not a pretty sight. They're my stories, man. They're stories. Terrible. Now... Uh, Greg, I would like to point out this is not the first time there has been a hubbub or a hullabaloo, as seems to be a big word in our uh, podcast, about uh, devices listening in your in your living room. Because, in fact, uh, the Xbox, Xbox One's Connect is also always on. And the best part is that not only is it always listening to you, it is always watching you as well. Um, so, uh, I, I just am not sure if it's being sent off to third party, uh, people. I hope not because I am in fact sitting here in my underwear in front of my Xbox. So, and, but, and, uh, and plus you trust Microsoft implicitly. So as long do, as I, they're the only Microsoft ones with the is, information, I'm sure there's nothing right. going to be done incorrectly with your information. They're never going to do anything incorrect with my information. Um, so, Sean, what about you? What is your tech topic overload topic? So, so, in fact, just today I was reading about this. So, uh, Governor Jeb, former Governor Jeb Bush of Florida has announced his intention to run for president. And in an effort to be super transparent, he's made the same mistake that governments and large companies keep making, which is he decided to release lots of his data to the world to prove how transparent he is. And the mistake that he made was he released all these emails from his time as governor in an attempt to show how he communicated with the people of Florida. And what he actually did inadvertently was expose the social security numbers of large numbers of people from Florida in this dump of the data. So in, in, in his attempt to be transparent, he in fact actually violated the privacy of lots of his citizens and in fact violated the laws uh, both federal and Floridian law, where you are not allowed to disclose the social security numbers of constituents through government communications. <laughs> and I, I bring this up because it keeps happening, and I would like to emphasize the fact that if you are going to release data to the public, you should really scrub it first. So if you are a person out there, please scrub your data. This keeps happening over and over again, and these poor people in Florida... Um, who thought that their data was safe for the governor now have people out there in the world who can steal their identity, which is fantastic. That's pretty terrible. That is pretty terrible. It's probably a Republican ploy. Um, so that that brings me to my tech topic overload, and, and I am going to raise my fist in the air. We have won. We have won, gentlemen. We have won net neutrality at least this week. 
um, the FCC commissioner and several of the other commissioners came out and stated that they are going to reclassify broadband as a Title II service, um, which gives them uh, an incredible amount of control over net neutrality and they will in fact not have fast lanes you will not be able to prioritize traffic for pay um, nor under some kind of crazy network management top uh, policies um, this is this is a big win it is also a big win for just democracy in general because it's it's one of the first times that i can at least remember where the internet screamed at a government entity and the government entity listened um in fact during the whole you know request for comment on the new fcc policies uh the internet brought the fcc servers to their knees multiple times um, which i think is just pretty awesome and i also uh would like to point out that I was pretty sure Tom Wheeler was a shill, and I have now walked that back. It seems like he's a pretty class act. Um, and so it is It is uh, pretty astounding that, at least for the moment, we have won net neutrality. Um, and that's a big thing for just the Internet in general. Not, not to rain in your parade, Mike, but I'd like to point out two things. One is the FCC has not yet voted on the proposal. True. Which still has to happen. So before you give give Mr. Wheeler class act status, I just wait for like that well, to go down. Hey, he can't control their votes. He can only recommend the policy. Well, you don't even know if he's going to vote in favor of it, right? So anyway. Well, second thing, true. there are so many lawsuits that will be filed oh after God, that gets approved yes. before it gets implemented that um, the danger this. is that the internet will lose its the internet's attention span is too short and will lose focus. So Mike, diligence is still necessary. We have not won yet. You know when we'll, we'll know we've won, Mike? When's that, Sean? When we can continue to stream our Netflix movies here in the cabin without any sort of jittering because we're also watching porn at the same time. That's how we know and we won. And get tacos. Tacos, Sean. The tacos. I still am not entirely sure what that episode was about, so I got another for you. <laughs> All right. Very good. And on that note, Greg, I think it is, is really wonderful that you um, talk so lovingly about this week's sponsor, um, it, it is so exciting that, in fact, uh, Samsung has decided to sponsor this week's uh, Tech Moonshine. Um, so, you know, tonight's sponsor, as I said, is Samsung. And, you know, the great thing about Samsung is that their TVs may not be the best looking in the industry, but they listen really well. And uh, perhaps you thought that the conversation that you were having with your spouse in the living room was just between the two of you. Well, guess what? It's an intimate conversation between three or maybe four, perhaps five people. Who knows how many? Uh, but thanks to Samsung and those handy audio commands they pack into their TV, they can pipe that very private conversation to anyone they want. It's amazing what technology can do. So head on down to your local big box store and pick up a Samsung TV. Remember, everyone in your house just wants to be heard. Thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation on Twitter using the at TechMoonshine account or find us on the web at TechMoonshine.com. You can also chat with Mike and I directly. Mike's on Twitter as Rollins.io and I'm on Twitter as S. Burns. Special thanks to Jeff Holtzinger, our banjo picker, and his track Bent Nails, which you heard at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Please join us next week for more 200 Proof Truth about tech.